Hello and welcome to Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob. And <laughs> I was just thinking of you. See, I never get through the opening because now I'm thinking, because last week you bugged me when you were moving around. And this week <laughs> I'm thinking, man, he's tired. Now he's making me tired. <laughs> as we present as we present today our show in stunning Technicolor. Technicolor. And yeah. if you look around at the studio. Looks different today, doesn't it? Yeah, there's definitely some Technicolor in here. In the beautiful Winchester building, who installed Technicolor this week <laughs> in the downtown metropolis area. Before we were in black and white. And now, fabulous Technicolor. Fabulous Technicolor. Like the kind they had in the 60s. Now tell us why oh, you said you could barely make it through the show today. What's wrong? What happened? What's going on? I was at work. And I had to work the full amount of hours, which I'm normally paid, which I often complain about. But uh, I really don't like it on show day. So next week, I'm going to tell those bastards, uh, hey, uh, I'm not working this much. It's not cool. I have a life. I'm sure they'll respond well, and they'll say, uh, you know, uh, I think it's time you go to raise. And a gold watch. So we are starting this week <laughs> as our two-part look into the oh into these sorry I write <laughs> the clock stopped the clock stopped it's like time stopped actually I just <laughs> hit it by mistake our two-part look into the into uh the British punk rock scene of 1977 and 78 with a review of the infamous album Never mind the bullocks. Bullocks. Here's the sex pistols. <laughs> you can't say that on the radio. I, okay, I just got a quick story. Even before, <laughs> even before we review the album, is that I saw it in the stores when I was a kid, early '78, and I was thinking, oh, the Sex Pistols have finally released their album. I knew that much. No, and uh, what is what does bullock speak? It's, you not gotta a, ask. it's not a North American word, but you gotta knowing, ask your mom. Knowing <laughs> what I'm not gonna ask my mom. Knowing uh, the publicity that they had been getting on the national news <laughs> for the last year, I knew that it wasn't a good word. <laughs> So, uh, oh yeah, we were going to actually, I was, I was going to pick the first album by the Queen Haters. Ooh. Yeah. But when they found out that, that we were going to do that. <laughs> it took me two seconds to remember. Okay. They, th they threatened to kick us in the bloody head. <laughs> and then they would laugh. So we decided for our own protection to choose the second most famous punk rock group of all time. The Sex Pistols. Yeah, you don't mess with the Queen Haters. They're a, they're a violent group. <laughs> they got a pretty fat guy on the drum. <laughs> Man, and that look on his face, and he just stares and plays the drums. What's he thinking? A lot of people are. A lot of people might be thinking out there, who are the Queen Haters? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to them next week. <laughs> All you people in the know realize who the Queen Haters are. Okay. And Rob, you were a punk rocker, like, even you were, like, 10 years old when this all happened, and you were, like, a real kind of rebellious person, weren't you? I was the only punk rocker in my tribe. Tribe? I, <laughs> what, I, what, what, what reservation were you on? <laughs> I, I tried for years to find other punkers to form a mm -hmm. punk group, but uh, I was it. I was alone. All the other ones were two uh, L7s. Uh, L7, yeah. yeah. Ten-year-old L7. Ten-year-old L7s. <laughs> <laughs> you guys aren't hip, man. They're all wankers. That's what they were. 
Yeah, you guys go and listen to your Super Tramp. Don't get me wrong, I like Super Tramp, but yeah, I do too. Go listen to it. I, uh, I'm a punker. Kind of really, you know what? Uh, that's a funny thing is that when punk rock came, like I was heavily into it, into the music part of it. I was too young, of course, to be into the uh, social social upheaval. aspect now because see, we were like eleven and. <laughs> we didn't know these problems existed <laughs> this was new to us and my brother did and he brought home all the albums i was actually going to save this for this for the thing but i'll just tell this quickly uh even though i just forgot it because i just <laughs> I was going to tell this quickly that means it's coming up um, you kept that a surprise means, you know what we're gonna we're gonna save it because it just slipped my mind what i was going to say <laughs> um <laughs> but <laughs> but it's written and, down oh no we were saying you know like uh but we were, we, I was into, just like you were, all the other music. Like, when you were a punk, yeah. you were only into punk rock music and everything else was evil. And there were so many divisions, subdivisions, yep. set up <laughs> during the late 70s of you, you can't like disco and you can't like, yeah, you know, you can't like this. And if you do like disco, then you only like disco and blah, blah. Like, I wasn't a big fan of disco at the time. I, I actually like a lot of the music now. But I did like a, I did like some of the disco that was coming out, even though I wouldn't admit it to people because it could get you a beat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I, you know, you said out loud. there was nobody <laughs> around. Like I couldn't t say to my brother's friends who were real punkers, like, you know what? I, there's a lot. I love prog rock because <laughs> that was the biggest enemy of punk rockers was prog rock. I was into all that. So I was into every form of music, including punk rock. And yet, as we're going to talk about, punk rock was a big divider for people. Not punk just rock. people, I mean musicians. I mean actual name musicians, too. It was a, it was a, a very, it was a changing moment in music history. For me, I, I missed a lot of punk rock in the 70s. I only uh, found out about it uh, yeah. in the 80s sometime. And by then, it was too late to be You weren't hip at our age like I was. You were... You no, were I was, still playing uh, Cowboys and Indians while I, I was, was subsumed in music. I was another few years away from uh I just said that in my own way. In my, in my own rude way. Clarifying. <laughs> we have to we have to say something right off the bat. Our producer, Uptown Mike, is upset because we are carrying over not one, but two segments from last week. Well, if he were a better producer, that wouldn't happen. I, I, I was just going to say that. <laughs> he was. It says, it says right here, but if Uptown Mike did his job as a producer, we wouldn't have time problems on this show because he would say, oh, you know what? This segment is too long. We have to cut it. Yeah. Or, hey, guys, hey guys, let's cut it right now and stuff like that. He'd be like, but he sits, in, he sits in his room and reads Playboy or Playgirl, depending on his mood, and he doesn't help us at all and the problem is he he's behind glass so he's got to use hand signals and when he's reading his literature <laughs> <laughs> the hands you're, signals yeah you're always looking at the, the hands waiting for a signal but they're they're moving for some other reason <laughs> <laughs> they're moving in a very up and down motion so anyways <laughs> must be um, polishing something <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing we have to do as far as segments are concerned is uh, get back to email no <laughs> Papa, don't were, take you not, were you not at rehearsal 
Okay, I'm going to start over again. We're not going to edit it. <laughs> you got me out. Right. You used uh, as, a, as a speech thing. Yeah, well, the speech thing gets you ready. <laughs> it's, uh, it tells you that since you don't have a script, that something's coming up, and then you go, what? So anyways, okay. Hello, and I know. I'm going to start at the beginning. Okay, so, um, so the first thing we have to do on our show is a, is a continuation of the segment from last week called Papa, don't take no mess. Part two. So, <laughs> part two. Part two. So, uh, where I was going to finish talking about records or albums being reissued and the differences from the first edition to later editions and so on, or reissues. Oh, yeah, we were just talking about Yeah, because we had just mono talked stereo about mono and stereo things. last week. Which and, I was a bit uh, concerned last week, as you said, uh, didn't we talk about this before? But after uh, listening to it, no, we did not. That's a bunch of new information there for me. Yeah, I actually <clears> thought I actually thought we wouldn't go up. First of all, I thought we had talked about that before, and we didn't. And then second of all, I thought you knew all about that, and you didn't. So it was educational for everybody. The audience, no. for you, and not for me, because I already knew. When I was growing up, mono was called the kissing disease, and you got it from the kissing girls. That was a, I, I first heard of mono from the Happy Days episode. Oh, really? When Richie uh, Richie got mono, and I didn't know what the hell it was. <laughs> <laughs> but they call it the kissing disease. God, I must have been like six years old or something. Um, so, yeah, so the thing about the reissues, which we didn't learn about until much later. Well, we got to be about, I don't know, I don't know what age, but, and in fact, it probably took quite a while, but they would keep on talking about albums without these great gatefold sleeves and lyrics accompanied to them. And I, us being like a second generation of the, the, not the album, but the albums that, since Sgt. Pepper's, where they put lyrics on them and had gatefolds. Yeah, we so came, they started coming out with imaginative album covers. Yes, with imaginative album covers where they, you know, no no albums had gatefolds really before that as far as rock and roll records were concerned. Yeah, if you had a double album, uh, open up, uh, but uh, the, when I bought a single album that did that. Yeah, well, there was no double albums till like Blonde on Blonde and uh, Freak Out. Those were the first two double albums. And that was, uh, uh, you know, middle of 66. So, and those, of course, still... Those albums still did have the artwork, but the albums that were really burned was actually the single albums, because you'd buy a single album, just one album, and you they would just have the sleeve, and you'd go, oh, okay, well, this is what it comes in, you know, you're the, yeah, you're the second a, generation. The brown paper uh, yeah. <laughs> records holder. You're, the, you're uh, the second generation coming, and you think, well, that's how the record is. And then you start to read about, as you get older, about how the record had this in it. And, oh, wasn't that fantastic how that Yes record had had all that drawing on it and lyrics. Now the and, Pink Floyd one had the posters. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, the Pink. You know what? There are bands that did replicate almost exactly their records, no matter what issue it was. And Pink Floyd, thank God. Was one of those. Now I do remember. I, I did why buy. I got the. Uh, yeah. I bought Dark Side of the Moon. I can't remember what it was. Eighty-two, something like that. It was after I bought the Wall. I, I bought the Wall like the first week. Probably eighty-five or eighty-six. I oh really? That. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that was around my time too that I bought it. But anyways, I bought and it did have everything. It did actually have the posters. It actually had... I remember the posters, and it was like getting a prize in a package of cereal. You wanted to buy more boxes to see if you could get a prize. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was like, 
you know, you buy an album and you're paying the same amount of price for every album at that yeah, time. Yeah, but these and are... some of them was were just just the record inside a sleeve, and there you go, buddy. And some of them, like Pink Floyd, Paul McCartney was good. Paul McCartney always gave posters and and uh, stickers and stuff. Pink Floyd gave stickers also on Dark Side of the Moon and stuff like that. And uh, it was like. Oh my God! It's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what a great thing to buy an album to get all this other extra stuff, plus all the great music. Yeah. But there were some people and some record companies that were real. Uh, RCA was one because I remember I, I bought all the David Bowie albums David after Bowie. they had been released, yeah. and all of them had been altered to just a single cover. But I they think, let you know because I, they put on they put on this little sticker at the top, which I didn't know, but it. And I have all my David Bowie records have them. And it says RCA Best Buy series. Yeah, I got that one. <laughs> Do That's by Ziggy Stardust. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that means uh, no frills, my friends. <laughs> 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 there are no frills in this record. We are, this is the Best Buy means the cheapo version, which just means you don't get the gay fold and you don't get. And he had great. I mean, you can check. Where, how all the albums look now by going to the Discogs record site and just pressing on first issues. And uh, John Lennon's, we talked about this before, but John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band album, which I got, and the Imagine album by John Lennon, uh, had a really had the lyrics inside, which were very important for that record, did not have the lyrics or diddly squat when I bought it in like 83. Yeah, mine yeah, and same thing with Imagine. Imagine had really nice packaging, and then when I bought it, it's around the same time. No, I bought, I got it for my birthday, and I think in '78 or '79, and it just did, it just had the thing. Uh, yeah. same great price, not the same great package. Not the same. Oh, you know what? We're not going to spend as much money on the reissue. We're Which, in the record business. But we don't really know what records are about. They're, <laughs> they're, they're a piece of vinyl. That's it. That's yeah. all the people want. And that's all the people want. And that, you know, that was, I, 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 I give uh, kudos to the bands that and the artists that did replicate. A lot of bands didn't. I don't think David Boy had a lot of choice because RCA did that with almost everything that they released that had. Wow. You know, it wasn't like David Boy says, "Don't release this because." It doesn't have the gatefold. It's like, no, man, we do that for everybody. And it's like, no, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, there was there was record companies and artists that just that just didn't have anything that was like the original re reissue, and it was just a bummer when you found out because now you wanted to get the original one. Now you had to spend extra money to find the first issue of a certain record so that you could get all these frills that you didn't even know that were there. The like that would have been cool when I was listening. To the Plastic Ono Band album to to have all these swears that they look at him <laughs> and know what know what he's talking about a lot of the time because he's angry almost all the whole album. John Lennon's mad, and some of the stuff you get and some of the stuff is well, why is he mad? But that's okay. I could just sense he's mad. He's mad. That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a pretty good guy. I'm sure whatever he's mad about, I'm mad about it too. <laughs> <laughs> so that was always a contentious affair for me is that uh there were so many albums that i bought uh one of my big big uh bands that i in the early 80s and mid 80s that i i i and i just think is the greatest one of the greatest bands ever was roxy music i got into roxy music big time in the 80s 
uh, especially the early stuff. And oh man, they had these great album covers that just got tortured because they decided to make the Gatefolds into just one one album. Ah! <laughs> and then when I saw how great their Gatefolds were on the internet, I was going, oh man, like why, like why do record companies like say just because you were born a little bit later we're going to rip you off like what's the use like why you know I they're saying that. that's not part of the art that's not part that's of the art. their exactly. judgment there is uh that was just an extraneous thing and uh if we need the money for for some of our useless relatives <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the point yeah i do have one question to ask you and this album was reissued for a different reason not for monetary reasons do you have uh, an original um, um, Some Girls? I do. Ooh. I got about I got about three issues. Yeah, I, I told you this. I told you this story when we did the Some Girls uh, album. Is that I got Some Girls about three times in 1978. I got I bought the album. My brother bought the album and took it home. I don't know why because I had the album. We both shared our records. And then I got some girls, actually, a student gave it to me at Christmas for, well, you know, at, well, at, at the, 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 class. You picked the names. You picked the, the names and he decided to give me uh, the some girls. Album. So I got three some girls albums in one year and two of them with the 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 uh, uh, censored the album, banished cover. album cover. But I did buy the very first or second week I bought the some girls album. So I do have the original version the uncensored one yeah I, I knew you had the album i just i wasn't sure if you had the uh and um oh and my brother it's not a big deal now but i remember my brother bought the leonard skinner street survivors album at which at the time he bought it before they had the plane crash the street survivors where they were all in flames he had bought that and uh, i remember it was a big it's not such a big deal because they made a lot of them because it was a first issue so it wasn't as much of a collector's item because, of course, they changed the album cover out of good taste when the when the plane crash happened, and it was just a, a picture of them instead of being in flames. Of course, it was just them standing, and uh, that was a big thing. But it turned out that it wasn't much of a collector's item because they had made so many copies, and of course, when the plane crash happened, everybody bought them, you know, out of either you know. So everybody of, had them at the time, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was a big them. album too. So uh, so many people had it, like it was a very big album. So uh, then, really quickly, want to touch on, and this is not a big thing for me. That's why I'm just brazing about this, is that I had heard very early on that subsequent issues of the of albums, reissues of albums, they wouldn't use the first generation tapes like they would do on of course on the first issue of the album they would use maybe the second or third generation because they were just lazy and they would say oh just give me give me the backup copy or give me whatever copy you can find now i have never known this as fact and i have never heard anybody say oh yeah i just bought you know i don't remember anybody saying at the time i just bought this and it sounded not too good but that was what i had heard i had heard that I had heard that actually this when CDs were released, that that CDs had used third generation masters, which has proven to be true. They didn't use the original master; they would use like the third generation. And so that means it'd be recorded three times and degraded, right? A little bit each time. Exactly. 
and that that's what that's kind of what would happen with records i don't know if that's true or not i'm just bringing it up as something that i had heard and it wasn't something i had heard from a friend i had heard on a radio station or a magazine or something like that whether that's true or not and whether you can actually tell the difference i don't know i don't think so i don't even know if that's true i think there are some records that maybe had had the second generation used and that's not a big difference uh that you would like normal people would that of course there are music snobs who go i can tell at the bass it's just a little bit lighter than on the original version so i put this wine glass on the speaker normally it rattles off see how it's not rattling <laughs> <laughs> those type of people so i just needed to mention that i don't know there are people who won't buy like a reissue on like i i personally if i want to buy an album nowadays right. of course we'll always want to buy the first issue which is expensive of any album and one of it one of the reasons is because of the cover of course you want everything that the cover you don't you want the actual piece of art you want the actual piece of art all the lyrics that they had with it and secondly i still always have that in the back of my head is the third edition of this doesn't sound as good as the first and so just to be safe i like to get the first <laughs> of any country because all the countries release the records you know whether it's from britain or america or canada i always try and get if i can get the you know the cheapest one is the first issues is is always important to me and whether it's really important if 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 the record's been reissued and it still has the cover art and it's the second time it's been reissued a third i don't think it's that important uh i really think it's only important as far as retaining the original album gifts and everything that they had the in. way it was designed and presented the way it was the artist really wanted it to be released and that's that, it you know now that i just said that i'm kind of pissed off because the the record company would release actually a yeah. truncated version of what the artist wanted the record company says okay well uh, the only thing that's art here is just the music all the rest of it is just like uh, uh, that party stuff, confetti that you got to clean up afterwards. Let's get rid of it and just give the people the absolute necessary thing. And uh, I hate how can the... they be a record company? Uh, well, <laughs> they can be a record company because they're looking at uh, <clears throat> cutting the trim so that they can get more money. They don't care about art. They don't care about Daz's lyrics in it. But a record company should. Like record mm -hmm. companies record companies used to see we're not going to get into this we'll get into this some other time they're not record, record companies, companies used they're to sign song people, companies used to sign people like in the late 60s and the, the early 70s because they liked the art of the musician and how the musician played even though they knew that we're just talking about judy sill who's amazing was the first artist to sign with david yep. geffen's asylum label that's not the kind of artist you would think an artist like a, a record honcho would sign because she's not, she has a commercial sound, but it's not like, you know, like, oh, I got to sign, you know, like a pop act. They actually thought, I like David Geffen really did say, I love this singer. She's amazing. I'm going to sign her. And that's what, that, you know, you had a lot of 
people who loved music at that time who were in charge of the record companies. Yeah. And by the end of the 70s, you had a lot of people who weren't even music fans who were in charge of record companies. That's just a fact of it. I lost my Too much. It's too hard on audio because I was going to say too much and then make the international sign for cocaine by plugging one nostril in. But <clears throat> there was a 70s. fair amount of cocaine back then. I, that's what I've heard. <laughs> by late 70s, that's where the money was going. That's my uh, theory. You know what? Now we have to go to the second leftover segment. The second thing we did and did finish? No. From last week is, of course, email. Email? Yeah, I'm not going to sing the song because I actually sang a song last week for uh, yeah, one singing, the same letter. One yeah. singing for, uh, for email. But we were reading a question from Sydney of Bristol, England. We don't know if Sydney was a man or a woman because of the name. Yeah, but you you kind of you kind of gave Sydney like an upper class male I think, slob uh, type of voice. That's what in my mind he was, and I think he'll be making a return appearance sometime soon. You think he's going to write another letter? Like you bastards, you wanks, you bunch of wanks. <laughs> I think he'll be making a return appearance. That's all I have to say. <laughs> this doesn't involve lawyers or anything, does it? <laughs> Actually, it does. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sydney wanted to know last week. This is again a really good question. Plus, it's a hard one. If we liked, and we're, and again, we're running out of time. If we liked <laughs> American artists rather than British artists in, in the overall sense, or vice versa. So, Rob, I've been talking for a long time here. Why don't you give me a break and you answer this question on your end? Yeah, I guess I uh, listen uh, probably to more British artists than uh, American artists. There, done. <laughs> You're supposed to give me a break. <laughs> uh, at least you didn't bore the audience like you do when I give you a mic. Well, you know, I had a hard time at work. And the guy was, uh, oh, what was the question? Um, I, I don't see nationality. Okay, and a little bit more of a uh, expounded version of that. I actually agree with you. And, more of uh, my influences were British than American. But, Most uh, of the, you know, mm, yes. to say preference, uh, yeah, there is strong. there is no concerted preference. It's not like oh, it's an American artist or a Canadian artist. Yeah, that doesn't influence me too much. It just it's just the music, right? But I'm telling you, and we're going to get into this in a much deeper when we get into certain specific music, mostly prog rock, <laughs> because if they're from Lithuania, I don't want to hear them. You know, there's a lot of great like. Great you have to understand, rock. like, prog rock is based on European classical music and European classical forms. Yeah. And, I... and they do it really, really well. And, again, we're going to touch on this subject when we do our prog rock segments down the road. But I'm yeah. telling you, I have the, the American acts that I have heard play prog rock do nothing for me and i just don't think that they have the knowledge the the background ancestral knowledge for that just like the english i don't think has a great grasp of americana music you know like roots music not english folk they do of course they're from england they do english folk too well which i don't like i don't like 300 year old ballads i'm not a big fan of that (laughs) 
But, it meant something then. It doesn't mean anything now. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't do nothing for me. And I'm not from England. I'm not from Europe, so it doesn't do anything for me. But you know, cheers to everybody who likes it. It is no longer socially <laughs> relevant, unlike the album we're reviewing tonight. <laughs> which, which is interesting because that's why you know bands like Fairport Convention and Steel Eye Span and those bands that that relied on English folk music, you know, didn't make a dent in North American charts. It's because we just didn't relate to it like the like the Europeans do. I mean, it's just the way you're brought up. Yeah, in, in your, I can in see that as being world. a little more familiar in Europe. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, people in England love that stuff. And but they couldn't like the English couldn't grasp like the North American folk idiom. You know, the protest. North American folk, yeah, yeah was more. I have something to say, and uh, yeah, a very a very North American thing. This is my vehicle for saying it. So it depends on the type of music, you know. You can get very controversial because the 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 first the the first wave was all Americans because they took from the rhythm and blues, you know, Chuck Berry, Elvis, and Jerry yeah. Lee Lewis, and Little Richard. Oh man, like there was nothing British there because that is the foundation of of rock and roll is R and B, gospel. Uh, there was no soul yet classified, but you know R and B, blues music uh gospel and a combination this is very important of of folk music uh traditional roots music which almost none of that applies to england but they took that and when the british wave came uh made something completely changed music completely you know gotta be quick these subjects are very interesting <laughs> but we do have to be quick about them because we have to watch the time, not Uptown Mike, because he's an idiot. But music did change. But none of these bands that came, like, it all didn't change because the Beatles came. These bands were ready because right after the Beatles came, the Stones came, and then the Kinks came, and then the Who came. It wasn't and called the, the British Invasion because exact, one or two came by. Exactly. They were all ready. They have been practicing the American rock and roll and transforming it into their own type of British sound. For a couple of years before the Beatles came, it just, if it wasn't the Beatles, let me just say, yeah, if it wasn't the Beatles, it. it would have been the Stones a couple of months later, or it would have been another band. Not Maybe not Breakthrough as big as the Beatles, but I'm telling you, that they were all ready. They just needed that band to, that one band to, to open the door and just, yeah. and the floodgates. As and as soon as a record company executive hears, by golly, there's uh, something selling coming from here. All the scouts, talent scouts, go out and uh, look for new baseball players. They, they look for new uh, new bands. Oh, exactly. And they were all ready because they weren't twiddling their thumbs waiting for that new band in England. I mean, the band. I was thinking of they British Invasion bands. You got the, you got the Four Horsemen of the uh, the Stones, the Beatles, the Who, and the Kinks. Uh, but there were other bands that didn't last as long. They were just there for a bit, like the uh, Dave Clark Five and. Uh, oh, Lollies, I always think of Freddie and the Dreamers. The Animals. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they're all these bands. <laughs> they were all playing at the same time as the Beatles, <laughs> except they just think of all that great talent. They were ready. That that was a British invasion, and it changed music because I really think that they they took them the American blueprint of rock and roll yeah. and actually expanded it American... and made it better. Rock and roll, it, did, it kind of had a big burst there in the late fifties. It was it was it seemed like it was petering out. It was. It was dying. To be perfectly honest with you, Americans were almost consumed yeah. with the pop idol. The it, had Avalon, almost been the a, it had almost been a fad. 
It, it, yes, Rob. <laughs> Isn't that weird? You know what? We, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes the things I'm going to say, he says the exact same thing. We don't have these things written down. We don't know what each one is going to say. But it's true. It almost, because of the Americans, and I hate to say this, it became a fad. Rock and roll was becoming a fad. It the only a one flip the, and then back to business yes, as usual. You know, the, the only band of substance that was doing anything was the Beach Boys. And uh, even, you know, because they had a totally unique sound and Jan and Dean and they, they were they were kind of the only ones that said, you know, uh, I don't like this pop thing. You know, I mean, they weren't exactly playing rock and roll. What I mean is that they weren't doing this you know, Frankie Avalon type thing. They were, uh, they were, they were kind of more like, but there was no Beatles and there was no Beatles coming from America. There was none. There was already the Beach Boys and there was no, and so, wow, when they hit, when the British invasion hit in 64, it hit for a long time, like three years. And the Americans had like no answer for it because they had no bands. <laughs> they had, they were really thinking that bands, because most bands, they, the Beatles were really the first band because bands at that time played instrumental music. Like, yeah, uh, that's like what the I Searchers and stuff. No, no, Searchers, what's that band I'm thinking of? So uh, the Ventures. The Ventures. Uh, <clears throat> the Ventures. Everybody wanted to be like the Ventures and blah, blah, blah. And the Shadows. Uh, uh, in England, they all wanted to be instrumental, but that's what all bands almost were, or they were backup bands, right? Uh, to to stars like Gene Vincent and stuff like that. They didn't even have bands ready, or the Beach Boys, of course. The Beach Boys were an exception, but they didn't have any bands ready because all their thinking was <laughs> instrumental uh, ventures type music, and they they totally got blown out of the water. We don't have anybody to compete with these guys so they actually copied the british bands uh because uh, the british bands brought a new brought again brought a new spark that's a story i heard with credence clear outer revival uh what do they want them to call the the the, the polywogs or the something the gollywogs the gollywogs because it sounds british because <laughs> it sounds british god it's a, it's a, by the way the gollywogs uh they're terrible <laughs> i i just listened about a year ago to Creedence Clearwater when they were called the Gollywogs. And, yeah, anyways. And this leads to what we're doing this week, which is punk rock, which was very much like 1964. It's a strange segue, but it is an apt segue. Thanks, Sydney, for the question, by the way. It's a very good question. And uh, you, you, it was, some, it was such a good question. You deserve the kind of answer that we gave. And maybe even I might, might go to the store and I will purchase you some rice cakes because we're right out and mail them to you. By the way, we are. We are going back to uh, sending out rice cakes as oh, presents good. because we just can't think of anything else. <laughs> no, they make lousy hockey bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I think this is a great shift because, and segue, because it does seek into punk rock, which, uh, and of course, this is why we're dividing it into British punk rock and American punk rock, because even though there are many similarities, there are many differences, mostly in the ideological view, which I'm not going to get into this week, because there's a, you know, most people know the story of the Sex Pistols, but I want to get into the story of the Sex Pistols. Next week, we're doing a band which doesn't really have any story, <laughs> so we can talk about the ideological differences. Ah, so we can make stuff up. Good, good. <laughs> so this week we're just going to mainly talk about uh, the sex whistles. And rock and roll was in need of uh, 
a boot in the ass. Everything was getting a little bit too much like what they were fighting against as as kids, which was, oh, we don't want to be people. We wanted this is from the street, and this is what rock and roll is. Now this is the definition of rock and roll. Whether I'm right or wrong, it's not it's not material here. The thought of rock and roll is from the street. It's from the kids, the 18-year-old kids making music. And then you got all these bands, who I'm not going to name, but all these big bands in the 70s that were flying in their own airplanes <laughs> and doing coke every day and partying all the time. Because they could. A lot of, because they could. The, the, the expression I heard was... Still making great music, I'm Preserving sorry. their adolescence. Yes. <laughs> acting like idiots, to be honest with you. Seemed cool at the time. I thought it was amazingly cool. But doesn't seem too cool now. It was actually more like you said, acting like adolescent idiots. Yeah. <laughs> I am just gonna spend like there's no tomorrow, and uh, the good times will last forever. But then there's all these guys in England who can't find jobs because there is none. England's in a pretty bad state. Most of the U well, the UK is you the know strikes. Ireland. I remember there were strikes all through the seventies. Everyone was on strike. People being laid off for no good reason other than you know they wanted to, the government wanted to save money on hiring people, and it was a very bad time. Kids literally had nothing to look forward to, and then they're seeing the people that they were supposed to admire, <laughs> and they're traveling in their own. Airplanes right. and singing about beauty and singing about truth at ten thousand dollars a show. Exactly, <laughs> and it rubbed them in the wrong way. They're saying we got no music of our own now. We we seriously do not have music that we can relate to, like we used to, like 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 the the rockers mm. that we're listening to now had. You know, they had their uh, Elvises and their Eddie Cochran's and their Gene Vincents singing as eighteen year old kids singing about. You know, summertime blues and like mm -hmm. I, I, I'm fighting against this and fighting against that. They had nobody because all of them were rich and all of them. And somewhere Once. along the line to them, everything and they they were right. Everything did get a little bit skewed, even though rock had expanded into all these directions. It it there was one voice that was not heard, which was the 17 year old kid in his room with no job. And no prospect, and well, just wanting to just want to. Of course not. Something. He's got no money to buy records. He's got no money to buy records. <laughs> so you know what? These guys with no experience decide this is what we're going to do. We're going to form bands, and we're going to play music the way we think it should be made. Great fucking idea. <laughs> yeah. And the thing that I, because I saw, I remember, I, like I was talking about earlier in this segment about seeing the newscasts. And not yet being in the music close, I was months away from being in, from from hearing that song, from hearing that, hearing the White Album and becoming forever grasped by music. I got to hear more of this. I got this is it. I knew when I heard it. I told the story many times, but I knew on on my birthday in in 1977 that when I heard the White Album, I said, "This is what I want to do." This is. And I just knew it was like a lightning bolt from God saying, this is it. Now, before that, just before that, punk rock was being not heard, but was being mostly reported on, on the news. And it would be like, and you'd see these people with clothes pins in their ears and purple hair. Crazy colored mohawks. Crazy colored mohawks. And all they're dancing and they're, they're beating the shit out of each other. And you're scared. You're like an 11-year-old kid. <laughs> and you're going, 
This that, is what high school is going to be that, like. That's one of my possible futures. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I remember that. I, distinctly seeing that on the evening news. You'd see it on the local news and you'd see it on the big channels. And they would and they would be like, like this is what's happening in England. And you're going, oh, shit, man. Like, I don't want this to... Uh, this to be the norm because this is not me. <laughs> See, I was a headbanger when I got into and uh, I couldn't understand the division between punk and metal, but oh, you know what? Definitely a division. A good, a good point. But eventually, eventually <clears throat> that division lessened and lessened over years between headbanging and heavy yeah. metal and and punk rock. We will get into that later. The origins are different, but the origins are different. And the Sex Pistols really were the first band. Almost every band that saw the sex, almost every person that saw the Sex Pistols wanted to get a band together. That's how punk rock in England started. Yeah. Like I know Joe Strummer saw they was in a band called the 101ers, saw that saw the Sex Pistols and said, "That's what I want to do. That's the band, I, kind of band I want to be in." And boom, the Clash were formed. Now it looks like more fun. It's <laughs> doesn't it look fun? It looks extremely. I mean, you're dangerous. looking at the uh, the rockers, uh, the establishment rockers, and uh, it, it's kind of it's mostly structured. It's, it's staged. It's rehearsed, and uh, not a lot of uh, spontaneity or fear. There's not a lot of rebellion <laughs> in the music yeah. that was being made at the time, and that's a big. That's probably the biggest word is that there wasn't any rebellion. There had been rebellion in certain bands throughout time of course like the stooges and the new york dolls and the velvet underground uh but that was just little pockets that was just like three bands in like 10 years oh, <laughs> oh wow um and of course garage bands which they, they they clung on to and and the the punks loved like bowie and roxy music because they were really they were they didn't go by convention uh but mainly everybody else just didn't speak their language. There was no rebellion. There was no, I want to dress this way and screw you. So they dressed their own way. Now, the, unfortunately, you know, the Sex Pistols history is not as as clear as it was back then because it's a lot more complicated. We found out that, you know, that they were kind of, Malcolm McLaren had put together a band specifically to be like that. But they made a mistake by putting together four guys <laughs> yeah. who wasn't exactly going to listen to him. And, and you know. All right. If that's what you want done, we will do it very well. Exactly. We'll like, do yeah. it so well, you will no longer be able to control us. We'll, we'll, we'll play the part very well. And they were scary. They're still probably the scariest band out there. They really are. They scared the shit out of me when I when I saw them on the news in 77. Or I'd, I'd, I'd see those promo videos and I'd go, fuck. I mean, the band still scares me when I see the promo videos. I don't want to run into these guys on the street. <laughs> they were a scary band. They made the Rolling Stones look like old farts. And the Rolling Stones ju just got into their 30s. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like the Rolling Stones were 50 or 60 year olds, but they made the Rolling Stones look like tame English gentlemen. And now you got all this, the, all this buzz. And then they released their first single, which is amazing. They released two of their first two singles that they released in 1977. They released two or three singles before. Uh, the reason <laughs> I'm going to show Rob the reason that I'm guessing on a lot of things tonight is because I'm missing a lot of papers because my ink ran out before it came to the Winchester building. Oh, time so to I, get a new printer. So I have to get new ink <laughs> for next week's show, but a couple of pages didn't get printed out that I had written. 
So uh, I'm just going, some of the things that I was going to say, I have to try and remember. But they released Anarchy in the UK as their first single. The only one with Glenn Matlock actually on it that was on the album. Uh, and really, Glenn, Glenn Matlock was like, he was a great, he really wrote a lot of the songs. And he wrote most of the songs uh, on the album. But he left before they started recording the album because him and he was a little bit too he liked music too much does that make sense he loved the beatles he liked the old establishment too much and that rubbed johnny rotten the wrong way and the other guys and so it was either he got fired or he quit and it was like fuck so they got they got Sid Vicious. Oh, I was going to say, they released Anarchy in the UK, which is one of the greatest singles of all time. And fantastic. It just, you got all this, uh, I'm really trying to put all these thoughts into kind of like one, but I keep on meandering. Kind, of, kind of meandering <laughs> a little bit. But there's a lot of hype. Now, the great thing about punk rock is that everybody's waiting for the Sex Pistols. So they're waiting for the any band to release anything right because there's still no music having been released in 1977 yet other than singles they're waiting for an album they're waiting for something to come out of an al album wise from any band that shows something now not only did punk rock come out with never mind the bullocks but it came out with the clash and it came out with this it actually did what it said it was going to do it made great it was some great music it wasn't just a, a, a ploy or it wasn't just a bunch of kids getting together and and making noise it wasn't noise some of it was of course there's good and bad in all music but punk rock was great punk rock actually lived up to the hype <laughs> which was almost an unbelievable hype to live up to uh, you know i remember a lot of uh, the talk i heard was that uh, punk rock was basically when they come disillusioned, they're uh, tired of the uh, the structured, formulated uh, production methods and uh, sounds and plug in your guitar, plug in your guitar and play three chords, three minute songs and play. Very much of a fifties ideal rockabilly. Yep. So uh, at the time, it, it seemed that the album just happened. But it didn't. Uh, of course, Glenn Matlock left. They asked Glenn Matlock to actually play bass on the record. And he says, well, you're going to have to pay me. Up front. Up front before <laughs> I'm going to play bass on the record. And he kind of said, well, no, we're not. Because we're assholes. And you're an asshole, too. And you know everybody's an asshole back then. So we're not going to do that. So he said, I'm not going to play on the record then. So, of course, they got Sid Vicious, who is probably the... There's the a genuine punk rock decision. <laughs> played in this one song played on bodies and I, I think and and barely made it through that i mean a totally incompetent musician i'm sorry all you yeah. i don't know why you people you lose some your of you people player. like sid vicious because he was he was almost a non-musician musician and yet people are still praising his skills he had no skills you lose your mm. bass player and then you make the decision to uh, have the new guy you get in almost completely uh, incompetent. Yeah, he didn't know how to play the bass, <laughs> I guess is what you're trying to say. Bass he really is not didn't. hard to play. It's, it's a very linear instrument. You're only playing one note at a time. And I played along with the album. 
It's mostly eighth notes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't notice the, uh, I don't think you don't see Al, any Alvin all bass at all. I, I really don't. Uh, Steve Jones did end up playing, except for Anarchy in the UK, which has Glenn Madlock on it, because it was already released as a single. Uh, and, and Bodies, which was the last song done for the album, all the bass parts were done by Steve Jones, who was, of course, the guitar player. And uh, bass was not a huge part of their sound, uh, but they did, of course, need a, a bottom end. Yeah, you can't just have the guitar and the drums going. So you album, can, but well, you can, but it, it, you can tell <clears throat> everything is in place in this record. You can tell that you know, even though you don't hear the bass like you would if it was a John Entwistle, that it's there because it's holding the the, the, the the music down. Now, the fi album finally did get released at the end of 1977, and, I, and amazingly, I, have you ever heard a Sex Pistols song on the radio? Seriously. There are only two bands that I've gotten albums, purchased albums, that I have not heard on the radio. One of them is the Sex Pistols. Uh, I was at a party at the Shane Fleet Group. Oh, I, I can't mention names. I was at a party. <laughs> I, I think I mumbled that enough that uh, we'll get away with it. The party. There was a party somewhere. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine, he, uh, he puts it on, and I think uh, it was uh, God Save the Queen. And uh, I said, I got to get that album. <laughs> and within a week, I did. And the only other band is uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers. have never heard any of their... Well, I have uh, in the past uh, couple of decades, but at that time, I'd never heard him on the yeah, radio. Yeah, that's funny you mention that, because the only time... The only time I think I heard a Bob Marley song up until, of course, the it 80s was, started. The 80s started was uh, the local radio station that was starting up, the FM one. Oh, okay. 79 played like uh, Rastaman Vibration. And then never again. And then I never did again <laughs> until he passed away. And then and then his, his music became part of our culture. And you hear a whole bunch of songs. You now. bastards. I have never in my memory. On the radio, either AM or FM in North America, ever heard a Sex Pistols song from one of the greatest bands in the history yeah. of the world on the radio? That's a God's honest truth. Neither have I. <laughs> I've been listening a while. Now, this band got, we've got 10 minutes, we haven't even talked about the quality of the music, but this band, <laughs> they, they, they refused to play it on the BBC, so they pretty much refused to play it on the radio in England. It's still... Like God Save the Queen, even though they wouldn't play, it still got the number one. That's an amazing feat, which is almost indescribable. How you can never get played, and, and yet they, you, it goes to number one on the charts. What kind of a band do you have to be? The record companies will only look at numbers to see that the numbers are here and say, no, we're going to avoid that particular slice of the pie. <laughs> You got to be pretty hated, and not musically, <laughs> or like radio stuff. Not yeah. musically, but pretty much uh, personality-wise, I don't like these. There guys. was a large uh, segment of society that did not want this uh, flower to grow. They, <laughs> yes, Rob, that perfectly said. They wanted punk rock to die. This was dangerous. This is subverting our youth. And even I was thinking that at the time <laughs> that if you know these. These punk rockers could be the, the new future, you know, and it was like, oh, my God, did I even want that as a 10 year old? I don't want to be a punk rocker. That doesn't look like an enticing lifestyle being spit on while you're playing. I want to be a musician, <laughs> but I don't want to be spit on. So anyways, the album was released. Uh, it made a little bit of a dent as far as sales in North America did incredibly well, of course, in England. 
that's right. I, I I heard the albums probably around seventy. My brother bought it brought it home because my brother just got totally encapsulated by. It. But I had heard so like I had heard. Uh, God Save the Queen, because they used to play the clips all the time. The promo videos, <laughs> they play, would play Anarchy in the UK. And that's the only time you could listen to the Sex Pistols, because they never played them on the radio, was if a friend played the album, or if you happened to see on a, a, a clip show, if they played God Save the Queen or Anarchy in the UK from their videos that they made for it. And they looked just as scary in the videos <laughs> as they did, as you would imagine that they would. And I tell you that, First of all, you got to hear this album on record. Oh my God, on record, this is this is stunning. And I'm not saying it because we listened. You know, I had to listen to it this week because of time restrictions on the streaming. And God, it's 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 still unbelievable. But it's nothing like it's one of the best records on a record. If you understand what I mean, one of the best that you, I've ever heard. Yeah, it's one of those things that that just blows your mind when you hear it on a record. And I've, I remember I used to play this album day, daily, daily sometimes, not, not in a, like in a single day, but I used, I played on Monday, then I played on Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> then I take a break and play it on Thursday. I have That's never, I, I have never stopped loving this record for 40 years. Seriously. And when I played it this week, to get ready for the show and listen to a couple of times. I was just so excited, even though it didn't have the greatest sound that it did on a record, I was still jumping up and saying, this is rock and roll. This is what got me so excited back in 78 and 79, saying this is, you know, it kicked off New Wave and everything too, and this whole new aesthetic for music. And this is brilliant. It has two of the greatest songs as singles, which even though they never got played, I think... <laughs> Anarchy in the UK and God Save the Queen are like anthems, and then it had two more with Pretty Vacant and uh, Holiday in the Sun. All the songs are just miraculous. all of them are good. All of the songs are. This actually is an first album that's good start to finish. Uh, I had a point to make, but uh, start to finish. No, it was completely uh, unrelated. But I found this it, 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 musically, it's metal. The one thing that really differentiates this album uh, in a big way is lyrical content. It is, <laughs> yes. Something I didn't even catch on to that much uh, when I listened to it uh, as no, a kid. I think God Save the Queen, I kind of uh, listened yeah, to like the first Anarchy time. Yeah, like Anarchy and by the way, that's she one of the human best. Being. That's it. That's what you need to know about one that One of the song. best opening lines in rock mm -hmm. history is anarchy in the uk i am an antichrist i am an anarchist <laughs> and it's like yes <laughs> like it just makes you want to go fuck yeah man like i don't like the way things there are i'm a teenage kid fuck this bullshit and of course i'm not speaking as a 12 year old when i was listening i'm speaking i'm speaking in a in, a, in an emotional context at 12 but then when i hear it at 15 I'm even more subsumed. I'm going like, holy shit, man. Like, yeah. Like, fuck the queen, too. <laughs> yeah. Society's got its order, and this is what its order is getting us. I don't want it. I don't want I don't want anything to do with it. And I agree mm. with you. I agree with what you're saying. I may be across the pond, and we're living two different lifestyles here. <laughs> But the sentiment, no matter where you live, is always the same. The older people are screwing the fuck out of us, and we want a piece of that back. 
Yeah, we're not going to get it back. We're going deeper into debt. And you know what but you are? Hopefully, we can screw our grandkids <laughs> better than our grandparents <laughs> screwed us. Because everybody grows. That's the funny thing. Everybody grows up and they they mature and they mellow or whatever it is, and they become not so much what they were when they were the Sex Pistols age. <laughs> Well, back then you got uh, the way you want to see the world, and uh, now uh, the world is what it is, and I mostly don't want to see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I'm looking at the songs, and I can, I, uh, I mean, and the lyrics, like you said, the lyrics are the things that stand out for me. Not only is the music brilliant, uh, but you have like no feelings in, except for myself, my beautiful self. I mean, that just resonates to you when you're a kid and everybody's bugging you. And I, I got no feelings for anybody else. And it may be meant in a different way than it's written, but that's what you take from it because that's the chorus. And then you got liar, like la 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 liar, la 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 la. Like look, man. What was like, the last song on the first song? I'm a lazy sod. What was that called? Uh, oh, that's uh, seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was a one of and I, I remember hearing that going like, I'm a lazy sod too. I don't know what sod <laughs> means, but I know what being lazy means. <laughs> All right, you call me lazy? Well, here I am unrepentant about it. And how do you like that? <laughs> and I mean, you could take almost any song, like, like, like pretty vacant, of course, means one thing. Plus, it also means deliberately, you're pretty vacant. <laughs> I mean, brilliant. And then submission. Sub, I've got them on a submarine mission for you, baby. Like, fuck, man. <laughs> this, this album is just <clears throat> classic from first note to last. And then EMI. Yeah. Hello, uh, A-L-M. Uh, so. <laughs> I, uh... I kind of had to read the story of uh, EMI. I'd heard that uh, they were going to sign with them and uh, EMI pulled out. But I didn't realize how many other uh, record companies uh, refused to sign them. <laughs> yeah. There was about three. Most of them. <laughs> there was about three, and it didn't look like until Virgin signed them that, uh, that that they would get signed. But you can't. how can you stop music like this from getting played? Yeah, this could be an art form that uh, never been... Uh, could have just have flared up and died but out But you again. can't. A bunch of suits <clears throat> is not going to stop music from being played. Like this music would would yep. come out on cassettes somehow. It would it would get out there. And then somebody would say, I'll sign them. It might not have been 77. It might have been 78 sometime. But this, this album eventually would have gotten out. This music would have gotten out. You can't stop. You can't stop kids when they want. They put their heads to something because yeah. they have a lot of piss and vinegar inside them. But you know what else uh, makes them harder to stop? Is when you want to stop them, when you try. Yeah. <laughs> and that just gets you just a little <laughs> bit more motivated. <laughs> like, if you say to them, like, this album's not very good, uh, you guys should think about it before. Like, that actually makes you think, well, maybe it's not very good. But when you say... I don't want you listening to this album. <laughs> I don't want you making... I don't want you releasing this album because it's going to distort the memories and minds of all the young people. <laughs> then you go, yeah, but that's what we wanted, you prick. <laughs> And the great thing about the the Sex Pistols as we kind of end this, because I could talk about the South Bendlessing, but it would all just be superlatives, <laughs> is that since Glenn Madlock wasn't there and he wrote almost all the songs except for uh, a couple on this record, and even but the couple that actually he didn't write are actually really good. I mean, there's no doubt on there. They're all classic. But I, I, I don't know how far they could have gone with Sid Vicious as their bass player because he was a complete fuck. 
I mean, he was a fuck up. He yeah, really was. It and without takes... Glenn Matlock's songs, like helping writing the songs, I I think that one album would have is is suffice for this band. They they made their point. They stirred up everything within a, probably a fifteen month period. They just <laughs> they just stirred everything up. That changed music forever after that. And I think anything else after that probably would have been a letdown because there's just no way you can top this. And without Glenn Matlock, I just don't see that they could. Yeah, come to think of it, you're down to uh, three members who can do their thing out of four. Yeah, and that's that's uh, that's not a band. <laughs> uh, and just to, just just to end this on uh, on what Rob was saying about how metal and punk sort of almost merged later on. When the Sex Pistols did reunite in the late 90s and they did their Filthy Lucre tour, and I bought the, the live album from that from that tour like the day it was released, it's funny how, and they played the whole album, they played, well, they released, well, when they played live on that tour, they played the whole Bullock's album and the B-sides and one or two songs that were left over. And... So it was basically the albums with, you know, just a little bit of padding. It sounded, it was still sounded great, but you know what it sounded like? It sounded like a hard rock album. And it had, it had a little bit of, uh, it, the magic was a little bit gone, not only because of age and you're, they're not young kids with the yeah. venom, but just because How it had almost turned anger? into a metal album. It, it really did. It almost, it, it sounded more, it sounded more sluggish metal than it did like, uh, energetic, energetic uh, smash, throw something through a window, punk. Exactly, and yeah. that's what happened to punk music. They they evolved, especially with the West Coast punk scene in the states, which we'll talk about when we do the American punk. American punk was very much, especially after the seventies, thrash metal, uh, and uh, that's not my bag, man. No. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing: that's not my bag. I kind of like music where the uh, the notes change in pitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where you I have mean, like uh, one note and uh, one rhythm going all the way through. Uh, nothing, nothing against people who like that. It's just, it's just not my bag at all. If they, you know, I that that goes thrash metal goes right up there with polka music as far as <laughs> I can listen to almost any forms of rock music. I really can almost any forms of rock or pop music. But thrash metal really just doesn't do it, and I and I, I don't even understand how people can like it. That's the one point where you get, you feel like an old man where you just don't understand why people can like it. But I didn't. I actually, I actually thought that in in the 1980s when that really became huge, I was just a kid. We were still kids ourselves, and I still couldn't understand why people liked it. Well, for most music or anything you like, you you can identify the qualities that you like, and you thrash it. I uh, I haven't heard much of it, but it it I couldn't differentiate between two bands. They I don't hear a lot of difference. They they sound very similar. That's the problem. I I think that's a problem when you're not brought up on that kind of music. Uh, I still have problems with reggae with that, and so many people love reggae, and I love a lot of like a lot of things about reggae, but I have a hard time listening to a reggae album all the way through. Unless it's I'm like with, Bob I'm, Marley or Peter Tosh or something. I'm like that with the blues. Yeah, and with the blues, I'm also like that. And mm -hmm. uh, I think we did talk about that before, how we have a hard time listening to the blues because we weren't brought up on it. And we love it for like the first couple songs. And then we're like, 
This again, are they? <laughs> and it really has more to do with your upbringing than with the person in general. Like if if we yeah. were brought up listening to the blues by our parents or whatever, then that would probably be the only music we would listen to, and we love it. Yeah. I hold the belief that the the music you uh, listen to in your teens and early twenties is the stuff that uh, leaves the strongest musical impression on you throughout your life. I, I you know what. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. You thought I was going to yell at you. I agree with I you 100%. Me wrong. <laughs> I, I'm just going to read one thing that I had to uh, write down off the, uh, the internet when I was... Uh, Is it rude? And it, it condemns rudeness. <laughs> and it involves Sydney and lawyers because we're going to use the voice of Sydney to read it. Oh, we're going to voice... Okay, that's why you said Sydney was coming back. Okay. <laughs> Much as my colleagues and I wholeheartedly deplore the vulgar exploitation of the worst instincts of human nature for the purchases of a commercial profits by both you and your company, we must reluctantly find you not guilty of each of the four charges. <laughs> well, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I was reading the story of the, uh, the record... Uh, store owner in England who got arrested because he refused to remove the uh the word bullocks. Oh really? <laughs> yes. it, was that was that kind of like the the judgment? Was that what he said? That is uh the, the exact judge? reading of the uh the judgment. He was That's found it. not guilty. The lawyers presented the case that if the newspapers can use it, you uh, got a double standard here. <laughs> That's cool. Actually I was gonna criticize you for that because I thought you were gonna wander off again. But actually that was pretty cool. No, I did, 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 did. Just the language there. Much as my colleagues wholeheartedly deplore the vulgar exploitation of the worst instincts of human nature. That's what they just, uh, back in the 70s, what the establishment called the Sex Pistols album. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, if, if people realize it who haven't. I feel it is the highest form of art. <laughs> I know. We're here praising it as uh, uh, one of the greatest albums of all time and one of the greatest movements to help rock and roll and society is to, to move a little bit forward and yet at the time man you couldn't find this made the 50s rebellion look a uh, rock and roll rebellion look yeah. so tame because <laughs> these punks were like hated they were hated like they they when they actually scare the people that they're even trying to talk to <laughs> but uh, that's a, that's a good way to end it rob I like that. so that's it for today Next week, we will have part two of our look at British punk rock. Yeah. And it will be just as good, if not better, than this week's episode, he says, before it's been written. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. <laughs> I can imagine how good I'm going to write this. And uh, so, you know what? To end this, we're going to say, go get stuffed right up your bum, yo, anchors. <laughs> I like a smash in the face. Just write her off.